Chapter One of The Hurricane Hunters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. The Hurricane Hunters by Ivan Ray Tannehill. Chapter One Monsters of the World of Storms. The hollow winds begin to blow, the clouds look black, the glass is low. E. Darwin a stiff breeze now and then with a hard gust swept rain across the navy airfield the place was gloomy and deserted except for one privateer standing behind the air station all other planes having been evacuated the night before a tall young airman came out of a building down at the other side of the field he looked nervously at the blackening morning sky as another squall came by, hurried over to the plane, and stood between it and the protecting station. In a few minutes, eight men followed him. They climbed aboard the craft. The tall airman was last, taking a final look at the sky over his shoulder as he crawled in. The roots of his hair felt electrified, his spine tingled, and his knees turned to rubber in a few moments the plane took off into the darkening sky in those anxious moments as he had glanced upward at the wind-torn clouds with driving rain in his face many thoughts passed through his mind in training for this job he had read about aircraft carriers having their flight decks torn up by typhoons about battered destroyers sunk by hurricanes big freight ships tossed out on dry land upper stories of brick buildings sliced off timbers driven endways through the tough trunks of palm trees the idea of sending a plane into one of these monsters seemed fantastic he could imagine the wings being torn off and see vividly in his mind the broken craft rocketing downward into the foam of gale-swept waters far below he leaned over on the radio table and muttered a prayer hoping that god would hear him above the tumult of winds seas and engines to most of the men this was old stuff flying into hurricanes had been going on for two years to him it was a strange adventure he was the radio man and this was to be his first flight into a hurricane and it would be no practice ride this was a bad storm getting too close to the coast to suit him he had been told that after nightfall its center would strike inland and there would be widespread damage and some loss of life he tried to remember other things they had told him in the briefing session and some of the instructions he had been reading for three days now well such is life he thought his father had been the master of an oil tanker for the last fifteen years he had told his growing son a lot about these big storms of the caribbean what would his father say now when he learned that his son was one of the men assigned to the job of flying into them his thoughts were interrupted by violent agitation of the plane and the roar of the wind the navigator said something about the turbulence he remembered asking one of the men what it would be like in the hurricane, and the fellow laughed and said, Well, like going over Niagara Falls in a telephone booth. He recalled the burly fellow who pointed to the map and told them where the center of the hurricane was located and how to get to it. In answer to his last question, one of the men had told him that all he had to do was hold on for dear life with both hands until the weather officer handed him a message for the forecast office, and then he should send it as quickly as possible without being thrown on his ear. 
now the plane was bumping along in the overcast and the rain had become torrential the wind was on the port quarter and water was coming through the nose and flooding the crawlway it was pouring on him from above somewhere rivers were running down his back he asked the weather officer what he thought about it and he replied oh this is the usual thing sometimes it gets a good deal worse well he thought it was getting a lot worse maybe the pilot and co-pilot could see but he could see nothing outside the plane he hit his head on something a hard crack and he started to feel sick finally he put his head down on the edge of the table and began to lose his breakfast up and down the coast the air force bases were deserted all planes but one had been flown inland and the last one a b-17 was poised on morrison field for the final hop into the big winds to return before nightfall in miami one of the senior men in the weather bureau office was called to the telephone somebody insisted on talking to him and nobody else it was long distance a woman said in a frightened voice that her son had gone out to look after a neighbor's boat and she wanted to know whether she should try to go out to find him and bring him in he was only twelve years old yes by all means was the answer the forecaster didn't know how she was going to reach the boy or how far she had to go but he recalled that other men and boys had lost their lives doing the same thing they were having hundreds of calls and they were unable to go into details he paused just a moment his mind running regretfully over this poor woman and her problem then he started a radio broadcast down the street a merchant was pacing up and down on the sidewalk bossing three men who were nailing frames over his plate glass windows he went into the store to his telephone and after dialing for about ten minutes finally got the forecaster on the line what's the latest on the storm he asked in a strange voice nothing new came the tired voice of the forecaster a navy plane went out half an hour ago we'll have a report pretty soon now but the hurricane's going to hit us that's sure be a bad night three miles south of the city two fishermen stood looking at a pole on the pier two red flags with black centers were flapping in the wind ah nuts growled the big man guess i'll go home and nail up the windows again this is the third time this year the little man started off pulling his raincoat up around his ears as a squall came over well we can't complain i guess the other times the flags went up we got storms didn't we looks like this will be the worst of the lot by that time the big fellow was running in a dog trot and disappearing around a building his father had been drowned in the big storm at key west in nineteen nineteen even on the other side of the state the people were worried and for good reason for it might be over there tomorrow the forecaster was wanted again on the telephone a man said in an anxious tone that he had one thousand five hundred unfenced cattle near the shore and what should he do without hesitation the forecaster said get them away from the water and behind a fence this storm will go south of you there will be strong offshore gales and the cattle will walk with the wind and go right out into the water and drown if there is no fence out in the atlantic a merchant ship was wallowing in heavy seas with one hundred miles an hour winds raking her decks the third mate struggled through the wind and sea and into the radio room he handed a wet weather message to the radio operator a hundred miles away in the bahamas an old negro was reading his weather instruments and looking at the sky 
he was pushed around by furious winds but they had died down a little since early morning the roof was off his house trees were uprooted all around him he went into a small low-slung radio hut and attempted to send a weather message to nassau he was badly crowded in the hut his wife daughter and two grandchildren were huddled in the corners his son-in-law had been killed in the night by a big tree that fell on the porch his daughter and her two children were sobbing he raised the nassau radio station and sent a message for the forecast office in miami all up and down the florida coast many thousands had heard the radio warnings or had seen the flags flying and wanted to know more the highways here and there were filling with people leaving threatened places on the coast by night the roads would be jammed out on the privateer the tall young radio man sopping wet raised himself in his chair and took a soggy message from the weather officer after the plane settled a little he put on his headphones and listened to the loud almost deafening static he still felt a bit sick but he began to pound out the weather message with the hope that somebody would get it and pass it on to the forecaster in these and other ways it has come about that a pair of red flags with black centers strikes fear into the hearts of seafaring men and terrifies people in towns and cities in the line of advance of the big winds the warning brings to their minds raging seas and screaming gales relatives and friends lost in other great storms that have roared out of the tropics ships going down and buildings being torn apart ahead of the storm the sea becomes angry huge rollers break on the beaches with a booming sound in the distance a long low angry cloud appears on the horizon if the cloud grows and puts out scud and squalls spitting rain the warning flags flutter in the gusts and the big winds will strike the coast with terrible destruction if the distant cloud is seen to move along the horizon the tumult of wind and sea on the beaches will subside the local indications in the sky and the water tell a vital story to the initiated but the warning they give does not come soon enough it is necessary to know what is going to happen while the hurricane is well out at sea this depends on the hurricane hunters and so the messages they send ashore while fighting their way by air into the vortices of these terrible whirlwinds are awaited anxiously by countless people tracking and predicting hurricanes is an exciting job often a dangerous one but it is not a one-man job it requires the cooperation of many people a tropical storm of hurricane force covers such a vast area that all of it cannot be seen by one person its products gales with clouds and rain and its effects destruction of life and property and big waves on the sea are visible to people in different parts of the disturbance but before we know much about it the little that is seen by each of many people on islands and ships at sea must be put together like clues in a murder case the weather observers who get the clues and the experts who put them together are the hurricane hunters 
for at least five hundred years it has been known that these terrible disturbances are born in the heated parts of the oceans down near the equator where hot moist winds are the rule something causes vast storms to form and grow in violence bringing turmoil to the ordinary daily round of gentle breezes and showers they have come to bear the general name of tropical storms though known locally as hurricanes typhoons or cyclones most of them occur in the late summer or early fall at that season on the islands in the tropics where the natives in other centuries took life easy depending on nature's lavish gifts of fruit and other foods the tropical storm came as an occasional catastrophe trees went down in howling gales rain came in torrents flooding the hilly sections big waves deluged the coasts and frail native houses were swept away in an uproar of the elements the survivors thought they had done something to displease one of the mythical beings who ruled the winds and waters in the caribbean region it was supposed to be the god of the big winds hunraken from which the name hurricane originated his evil face seemed to leer from the darkening clouds as the elements raged in time europeans settled in the islands and on the southeastern coasts of america they dreaded the approach of late summer when copper-colored clouds of a tropical storm might push slowly upward from the southeastern horizon what they learned about them came mostly from the natives who had long memories for such frightening things and reckoned the time of other events from the years of great hurricanes strangely enough although during the more than four hundred years that have passed since then man has finally mastered thermonuclear reactions capable of permanent destruction of whole islands he still probes for the secret of storm forces of far greater power it is hard to say who was the first hunter of storms columbus and his sailors were constantly on the lookout and actually saw several west indian hurricanes luckily they didn't run into one on their first voyage or the story of the discovery of america would be quite different for the ships sailed by columbus were not able to stand up against these big winds of the tropics they would have been sunk in deep water or cast ashore as worthless wrecks if columbus had been lost in one of these monstrous storms and he didn't miss it by very much it might have been many years before another navigator with a stout heart could have induced men to risk their lives in the uncharted winds of the far places in the atlantic ocean out there toward the end of the world where increasing gales dragged ships relentlessly in the direction of the setting sun sailors who ventured too far would drop off the edge of a flat earth and plunge a screaming into eternity so they thought only in columbus's mind was the earth a sphere by the time columbus had made his third voyage to the west indies he had learned a good deal about hurricanes and how to keep out of them he got this information by his own wits and from talking with the natives in the islands bordering the caribbean they told him of storms much more powerful than any that were brewed in european waters after listening to their tales he was afraid of them in fourteen ninety four he hid his fleet behind an island while a hurricane roared by 
the next year an unexpected one sank three of his vessels and the others took such a beating that he declared nothing but the service of god and the extension of the monarchy would induce me to expose myself to such dangers in fourteen ninety nine a spaniard named francisco bobadilla was appointed governor and judge of the colony on hispaniola santo domingo he sent false charges back to spain accusing columbus of being unjust and often brutal in his treatment of the natives columbus was ordered back to spain in chains here he remained in disgrace until december fifteen hundred by that time the true nature of bobadilla's treachery had become known by the spring of fifteen o two columbus had been vindicated and was on its way back to the west indies with four ships and a hundred and fifty men during his earlier voyages he had become deeply respectful of these big winds of the new world when he arrived at san domingo on this last voyage his observations made him suspect the approach of a hurricane at the same time a fleet carrying rich cargoes was instructed to take bobadilla back to spain it was ready to depart columbus asked for permission to shelter his squadron in the river and he sent a message urging the fleet to put off its departure until the storm had passed bluntly both of columbus's requests were denied he found a safe place in the lee of the island but the fleet carrying bobadilla departed in the face of the hurricane and all but one vessel went to the bottom bobadilla went down with them which seemed to be a fitting end for the scoundrel who had been guilty of hatching up false charges against columbus after the time of columbus better ships were built and the fear of storms diminished seafaring men to-day are likely to get the idea that modern ships of war and trade are immune to hurricanes they have a brush or two with minor storms or escape the worst of a larger one and cease to be afraid of the big winds of the west indies now and then this attitude leads to disaster in september nineteen forty four the weather bureau spotted a violent storm in the atlantic northeast of puerto rico it grew in fury and moved toward the atlantic coast of the united states the forecasters called it the great atlantic hurricane being usually conservative weather bureau forecasters seldom use the word great when warning of hurricanes and when they do it is time for everybody to be on guard in this case the casualties at sea included one destroyer two coast guard cutters a light vessel and a minesweeper this should have been sufficient evidence of the power of the tropical storm to destroy modern warships but just three months later a big typhoon caught the navy off guard in the pacific and proved the case beyond the slightest doubt typhoons are big tropical storms just like west indian hurricanes they form in the vast tropical waters of the pacific develop tremendous power and head for the philippines and china sometimes going straight forward and sometimes turning toward japan before they reach the coast like hurricanes they are often preceded by beautiful weather allaying the suspicions of the inexperienced until it is too late to escape from the indraft of the winds and the mountainous seas that precede their centers it was hard to keep track of typhoons in world war two 
in large areas of the pacific there are few islands to serve as observation posts for weathermen before the war merchantmen on voyages through this region had reported by radio when they saw signs of typhoons but many of the weather reporting vessels had been sent to the bottom by enemy torpedoes and the remainder had been ordered to silence their radios thereafter the only effective means of finding and tracking tropical storms was by aircraft but reconnaissance by air had just begun in the atlantic and was not organized in the pacific until nineteen forty five late in nineteen forty four our third fleet said to be the most powerful sea force ever assembled had drawn back from the battle of leyte to refuel the japanese navy had received a fatal blow from the big fleet nothing more terrible was reserved for the japanese except the atom bomb far out in the pacific a typhoon was brewing while valiant oil tankers waited five hundred miles east of luzon for the refueling operation so vitally needed by our warships after days of ranging the seas against the japs it was december seventeen when the refueling began by that time, the winds and seas in the front of the typhoon were being felt in force. Battleships, cruisers, destroyers, and a host of other vessels rode big waves as the wind increased. The typhoon drew nearer, and the smaller ships were bouncing around so violently that it became impossible to maintain hose connections to the oilers. Before nightfall, the refueling had stopped completely, and the fleet was trying to run away from the typhoon it was almost a panic if we can use the word to describe the desperate movements of a great battle fleet messages flew back and forth changing the ship's courses as the wind changed they ran toward the northwest then toward the southwest and finally due south in a last effort to escape the central fury of the great typhoon but all this did no good the lighter vessels escort carriers destroyers and such top-heavy with armament and equipment and with little oil for ballast began the struggle for life each hour it seemed that the height of the storm had come but it grew steadily worse writhing slopes of vast waves dipped into canyon-like depths the crests were like mountains the wind came in awful gusts estimated at more than a hundred and fifty miles an hour the tops of the waves were torn off and hurled with the force of stone ships were buried under hundreds of tons of water and emerged again shuddering and rolling wildly on the eighteenth of december one after another of the ships of the third fleet lost control and wallowed in the typhoon time and again thousands of men faced death and escaped by something that seemed a miracle there was no longer any visible separation between the sea and the atmosphere only by the force with which the element struck could the men aboard distinguish between wind-driven spume and hurtling water steering control was lost electric power and lights failed lifeboats were torn loose stacks were ripped off planes were hurled overboard three destroyers rolled too far over and went to the bottom of the pacific altogether nearly a hundred and fifty planes were destroyed on deck or blown into the sea and lost cruisers and carriers suffered badly battleships lost planes and gear the surviving destroyers had been battered into helplessness almost eight hundred men were dead or missing 
as the typhoon subsided the crippled third fleet cancelled its plans to strike against the enemy on luzon and retreated to the nearest atoll harbor to survey its losses more men had died and more damage had been done than in many engagements with the japanese navy a navy court of inquiry was summoned it was said that this typhoon of nineteen forty four was the granddaddy of all tropical storms but a study of the records shows that it was just a full-blown typhoon there have been thousands of hurricanes and typhoons like this one down through the centuries these terrible storms have swept in broad arcs across tropical waters reaching out with great wind tentacles to grasp thousands of ships and send them to the bottom pounding across populous coasts with mountainous seas flooding the land they have drowned hundreds of thousands of people certainly more than a million in the last three centuries and untold thousands before that after the typhoon disaster the commander-in-chief of the pacific fleet declared that his officers would have to learn forthwith about the law of storms really there was nothing new in that idea it had been voiced by navigators of all maritime countries of the world from the earliest times the so-called law of storms is merely the total existing knowledge about storms at sea how to recognize the signs of their coming and how to avoid their destructive forces and it has taken four and a half centuries to develop our present understanding of hurricanes this experience of the third fleet made it plain that a sailing vessel had very little chance of survival in the central regions of a fully developed tropical storm the only hope was that the master would see the signs of its coming and manage to keep out of it once he became involved the force of the wind was likely to be so great that his vessel soon would be reduced to an unmanageable hulk the gales seemed to have unlimited power even today we don't know accurately the speed of the strongest winds it seems likely that the highest velocities are between two hundred and two hundred and fifty miles per hour wind measuring instruments are disabled or carried away and the towers or buildings which support them are blown down long after the time of columbus it was generally believed that a storm was a large mass of air moving straight ahead at high velocities a ship might be caught in these terrible winds and be carried along with them to be dashed on shore or torn apart and sent to the bottom every mariner wanted to know how to avoid these dangers but strangely enough few wanted to avoid them altogether if a sailing vessel circled around a storm it took longer to get to the port of destination and how could the master explain the time lost to his bosses when he got home if he had no record of a storm in the logbook to account for the delay from this point of view some of the things that happened seemed very strange two or three hundred years ago it was not uncommon for a sailing ship to be caught in a hurricane and scud for hours or days under bare poles in high winds and seas and finally come to rest near the place where it first encountered the storm a sailor on board would imagine he had travelled hundreds of miles and yet he might survive the wreck of his ship and find himself tossed ashore near the place where he started up until about seventeen hundred a d nobody could offer a reasonable explanation of these curious happenings and most people believed they never would be accounted for for example it was often claimed that the storm came back 
after blowing in one direction with awful force until great damage had been done it would suddenly turn around and blow in the opposite direction perhaps harder than before wrecking everything that had not been destroyed in the first blow to add to the mystery many ships were never heard from again they became involved in hurricanes and disappeared leaving no trace of any kind men might try to explain what had happened to the ships which were tossed on shore near the places where they had started from but there was a general feeling that these cases were the exceptions to the law of storms and that the true understanding of these fearful winds would come only with the discovery of what happened to the great numbers of ships and men that were never seen again and yet it is amazing to find how near some of these men came to the right answer there were seafaring men in the seventeenth century who knew or suspected the truth but none of them had both the knowledge and the ability to put it in writing in a convincing manner they were the buccaneers whose operations were centered in the caribbean sea mostly from about sixteen thirty to sixteen ninety they were english dutch portuguese and french all at one time or another opposed to spanish control in the caribbean on various occasions they seized one or another of the smaller islands and used it as a base from which to prey on spanish shipping and settlements during these years the islands were devastated by at least thirty hurricanes of sufficient power to earn a place in history doubtless there were many more not recorded a great number of vessels went down in the seas and harbors around st kitts martinique and jamaica where the buccaneers sought haven from the spaniards one of the most intelligent but least successful as a buccaneer was william dampier he was born in england in sixteen fifty two became an orphan at an early age and was put in the hands of the master of a ship in which he made a voyage to newfoundland afterward he sailed to the east indies and then fought in the dutch war in sixteen seventy three the next year he went to jamaica and became a buccaneer soon he was familiar with the harbors bays inlets and other features of the caribbean coasts and islands at times he and other buccaneers ranged as far as the south american coast plundering sacking and burning as they went eventually they raided the mexican and californian coasts and crossed the pacific to guam and then to the east indies at intervals dampier wrote the account of his voyages which ultimately took him over most of the world but he died poor just three years before he was due to share in nearly a million dollars worth of prize money being a genius at the observation of natural phenomena and having the ability to put this in writing dampier distinguished himself from the other buccaneers by earning a place in history as a writer of scientific facts in a clear and easy style in his writings we find our earliest good first-hand descriptions of tropical storms that are really good among other things he said of a typhoon in the china sea that typhoons are a sort of violent whirlwinds he said they were preceded by fine clear and serene weather with light winds before these whirlwinds come on wrote dampier there appears a heavy cloud to the northeast which is very black near the horizon but toward the upper part is a dull reddish color to him this cloud was frightful and alarming he went on to say that it was sometimes seen twelve hours before the whirlwind struck 
the tempest came with great violence but after a while the winds ceased all at once and the calm succeeded this lasted an hour more or less then the gales were turned around blowing with great fury from the southwest these stories by dampier and others might have cleared up some of the mysteries of these furious storms especially those that turned around and came back they might have explained the fact that sailors were carried long distances and then cast ashore near the places from which they started for they were huge whirlwinds as dampier suspected but nobody seemed to be able to put two and two together and prove it for one thing no one knew then that weather moves from place to place everybody seemed to have a vague belief that the weather developed right at home and blew itself out without going anywhere with these ideas in vogue the eighteenth century came to an end and there was no useful law of storms but we can put william dampier down as one of the first hurricane hunters as cities and towns on southern coasts and islands grew in population storm catastrophes became more numerous now and then a hurricane seemed to appear from nowhere and caused terrible destruction on land new orleans was devastated in seventeen twenty two and again in seventeen twenty three charleston and other coastal cities were hit repeatedly Karinga on the Bay of Bengal, was practically wiped out by a furious storm in December 1789, and there was another disaster at the same place in 1839. Tropical storms that form in the Bay of Bengal and strike the populous coasts of India are known as cyclones. They are the same kind of storms as West Indian hurricanes and the typhoons of the Pacific the worst feature is the overwhelming flood of sea-water that comes in big waves into the harbors as the center of the storm arrives if there is insufficient warning thousands of the inhabitants are drowned karinga is a coastal city of india which had a population of about twenty thousand in seventeen eighty nine in december there was a strong wind seeming like a cyclone the tide rose to an unusual height and the wind increased to great fury from the northwest the unfortunate inhabitants saw three huge waves coming in from the sea while the wind was blowing with its greatest violence the first wave brought several feet of water into the city all the able-bodied ran for higher ground or climbed to the rooftops to keep from drowning the second wave flooded all the low parts of the city and the third overwhelmed everything and carried the buildings away all the inhabitants except about twenty disappeared in cases of this kind a warning less than an hour in advance would have saved the lives of thousands but disasters like this were repeated here and in other parts of the world dozens of times before the hunters trackers and forecasters of hurricanes learned to cheat these terrible storms of their toll of death and injury progress was slow in the nineteenth century which saw some of the world's worst storm disasters in eighteen eighty one three hundred thousand people died in one typhoon on the coast of china we now come to the stories of the men who tried to do something about it the storm hunters at first early in the nineteenth century the hunters were men engaged in some other work for a living 
they put in their spare time gathering information getting reports from sailors who had survived these terrible storms at sea and from landsmen who had seen them come roaring across harbors and beaches to lay waste to the countryside we go with some of them through these awful experiences then after the middle of the century first under emperor napoleon the third of france and later under president grant in america and queen victoria in england storm hunting became a government job and spread slowly around the world here we see a bitter uphill battle the hurricane proved to be an enormous whirlwind hidden behind dense curtains of low-flying clouds tremendous rains and the thick spray of mountainous seas torn by earth-shaking forces of the monster its mysteries were challenging out of this work a warning system grew and slowly the losses of life were reduced from thousands to hundreds and then to dozens we go with the storm hunters into congress and the white house to argue about it then we come to world war ii and the desperate need for information while submarines attack shipping and hurricanes threaten airfields and naval bases and here we find stories of big four-engined bombers flying into the centers of these furious storms in these stories we go along we see what the weather crews saw and learn what they learned and we see how the hurricane warning service works today far better than a few years ago but with a part of the great mystery still unsolved so we go with the hunters in shaking plunging planes from the surface of the sea to the tops of the biggest hurricanes looking for the final answers to this great puzzle of the centuries End of chapter one